Well, good morning, everybody. My name is Tom. I'm one of the pastors here. We are so glad that you're joining us with us today. Um, our lead pastor, Scott, is going to come back and fix all the crazy things that I say today next week. Um, but he's here today and would love to meet you. And uh, we, we have been talking about marriage uh, the past few weeks. We're going to talk about family. And we're going um, to talk about kids and how to deal with those people that we've somehow created and are living in our home and destroying all of our best stuff. I mean, I love them. They're such a joy. The Bible says they're a gift. And they just keep giving. <laughs> and I cannot wait to pay for their therapy bills. But can we pray together? Um, I, this is one of those sermons where um, uh, somebody asked me yesterday, we were hanging out um, with some of our creative arts folks here, worship leaders, tech folks, and they said, you know, do you... Um, do you practice, like, like, do you preach your sermons, like, out loud ahead of time? And I say, the only time that I say stuff out loud before the sermon is where if I take a hairpin turn, like, slightly wrong, all of a sudden I'm into heresy and, like, preaching. And so I, like, really want to get this right today as we uh, talk about marriage, uh, especially because I am married, and then I'll hear about it later in love. Jesus, we love you so much, and you have changed our lives I will never be the same because of you, Jesus. And uh, we ask you today that you inspire us, that you show us more about what it is to follow you, uh, to be like you, and to love others the way that you have loved us. Uh, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, last week, just to summarize really quick, we talked about how when you get married, you might have some things inside of you called your hopes, your dreams, and your desires. We talked about how, and this is my coffee, that should be in the box, but it's hot and dangerous too. I, yeah, I just really wanted to talk about coffee for a hot second. And in those expectations in your marriage, or there's hopes and dreams and desires for you, it's just in there, and there's a list of stuff that you hope to have, but to your partner in life, these don't feel like hopes, dreams, and desires. They feel like expectations, and in those expectations, they can be things like, we're going to have uh, the cleanest house. I know that they couldn't keep the house clean, but we're going to keep it clean. We're going to know how to manage our money incredibly well. We're going to pay off our debt quickly, or maybe we're going to have a lot of credit cards because points, baby. You know, that might be part of your plan or your desire. Or, you know, we know how we're going to handle conflict. We're going to do it just like my parents did it, or nothing like how my parents did it. It might be a part of your past or how that you, however you saw it. You, but a lot of us, we, we base our friendships, our marriages, based on something that we saw or experienced, or something that we didn't see and experience, and we're hoping to see. And today, I want to talk a little bit deeper, because you had homework, and if you are anything like me, you have no idea what that homework was until you had, you need someone to remind you. I get it. I was, uh, I, I went on a short little trip with my, with my wife and kids, and Noni, that's what we call my mother-in-law, it's just better than my mother-in-law, so we call her Noni, which is a poorly pronounced Italian word. For grandma and uh, my wife, um, she asks me a question uh, about this series that is the question you're supposed to ask, but she asked it too soon. And I said, You don't get to ask that until week two. And she said, Who says? I said, The preacher 
who told everybody that you have to wait a week. But your assignment was really just quickly this, and you can do, you, if you can be just like the way I was in high school, like there was homework, just do it now. Pass the paper forward. And I'm like, yeah, everybody, pass your paper forward. B, 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 and you'll figure it out. But if, if you were to have some hopes, some dreams, or desires in your life, just and, and how you pictured and you thought friendship or marriage was going to be, what would some of those things be? What would that be for you? And I, honestly, I'm the guy who came up with the message. And I had a hard time figuring out what's in the box. If you go up to most men to stereotype a little bit and say, honey, what are your hopes, dreams, or desires? They're probably going to say, nothing. I'd like, <laughs> do we have to talk about this? You're doing fine. Everything's fine. You know, Preseason started with the Lions. Let's, can we talk about that? Because I got some hopes, dreams, and desires. Like, you know, you might, you might get there a little easier. <coughs> Me too. Um, but I, I just think that some of you, you may have even daydreamed a little bit growing up what you thought marriage was going to be like, and you were, maybe you had a list. Any of you guys have a, have a list of, like, this is the kind of husband that I want to marry? I don't, I don't know if you did or not. My, my wife, she had a list all the way down to the kind of shoes the guy was supposed to wear so I'm just saying well she's a type A personality so she makes lists she had a checklist and I had on the right shoes it was a miracle <laughs> Nicholas Sparks call the man and tell him our love story but when I was single I never daydreamed about any of that kind of stuff I, I you know I thought about marriage and I thought about being a dad and I had that stuff but the problem is is if you don't know what's in your box you are still loading the person that you love most or are supposed to love most with expectations. And if you don't figure out what's in here, you have no idea of the weight that you're putting on them. And it's hard to take ownership of that. And today I want to talk a little bit about this because when I proposed to Jenna and the day that we got married and I walked down the aisle, I carried two things, her ring and my baggage <laughs> and my desires and my hopes, and my dreams, I brought the total package. And she had no idea what she was getting into. She's met some of these since then. But these expectations that, that we have on somebody else, I, I just want to quickly redefine what expectations is. An expectation is the strong belief that something will happen or be the case in the future. And what expectations create is a debt debtor relationship. They owe you this. What I expect from you is something that you owe me. This is how you're supposed to treat your husband. I'm the wife. This is how you're supposed to treat the wives. This is what husbands are supposed to do and wives are supposed to do and we have this. But it, that doesn't really work with love, does it? Because if somebody owes me money, all they're doing is giving me what I deserve. There's no affection in there. There's no room for that. So so what do we do? What do we do with our boxes of hopes, our dreams, and desires that our spouse or our friends see as expectations? And I, I'll tell you this. A happy couple knows the answer to this question. What does he or she owe me? What does he owe me? What does she owe me? And a happy couple knows that the answer to that question is nothing. Nothing. And that doesn't make any sense. But neither do they, right? If you see a happy couple, they're almost weird. 
Like, I don't know. There's just something about them. I can't quite figure it out. Like, I think I can figure it out, but well, I know other couples who do very similar things, and th- they don't seem as happy. It's, it's hard. It's hard. And the problem is, is that what, what we do as human beings is we kind of live with our minds that we think, okay, rules. And we develop a Christian code of content, of, of, of conduct. We have this code and this list of things that we think that marriage is supposed to exist within. I'll just be honest. I have never been good at following the rules. I, if you give me a rule, I'm going to find a way to break it. I don't go up to the line. I go screaming over the line and say, catch me if you can, baby. Like, let's go. I hate rules. And I, I, I will just tell you this, that if you create a marriage just based on this is how we're going to conduct ourselves, that doesn't sound much like a, somebody who follows Jesus who is full of grace. If you're taking notes, great Christian relationships are not built on a Christian code of conduct. Because a Christian marriage is a marriage where everybody is not trying to get somebody else to act right. But a great marriage is what I would call a submission competition. A submission competition. So we're going to get to this verse that's a little complicated. And Jesus puts it this way to to quickly summarize everything that I believe. He says this, he says, A new command I give you, which if you were Jewish and living back in his day and age, and somebody comes up and says, A new command, you are piecing out. You have no interest. You need to get out of there. The only people who give commands are God, and all of those commands were handed down to Moses. Who does this guy think he is? And eventually, a few days later, Actually, I think it's in the same weekend. Christ is crucified for this. He says this, A new command I give you, love one another. To which they responded, that, That's not new. And Jesus said, Well, I'm not through. Love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. You've heard of the golden rule, treat others how you want to be treated. Well, Jesus actually came and goes to what one pastor called the platinum rule. Don't treat others how you want to be treated. Treat others how I have treated you. The way that Jesus treated you, that's how you're supposed to treat somebody else. So uh, one guy came up with a clever saying, and my pastor here loves it when I can make things rhyme. So he says, not sure what to say or do. Love God, love like God through Christ loved you. So Paul uh, is this guy who shows up later on, and if you don't like Christians, Paul didn't like Christians way more uh, than you dislike Christians. Uh, He killed them and made it his profession and his job. And eventually this guy's life gets turned upside down and he eventually becomes a Christian himself. And he takes on this commandment that Jesus gave and he slaps this idea onto every relationship we would ever have. So he's writing to a church. (coughs) Excuse me. He's writing to a church in a city, in a town called Ephesus. And we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 5. If you want to take, if you've got a Bible and you want to highlight things, and we come to this very tricky verse in 5.22, Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. Could it be any clearer than that, right? We all got that right. It's simple. Good. Let's go home. Right. I'm going to go get me a pita. No, that's, 
I wa- does, does this irk you a little bit? Because this kind of bristles a little bit against me. This kind of gives me a rash whenever I get to this verse. I have people in my life that I respect and love, and this idea is why they walked away from Christianity. This verse right here was so difficult. And I want it to stay on screen for a little bit just because it should bug you. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. Husbands, don't move for a minute. Hold your breath. Oh, thank you so much, brother. I don't know that that'll help, but thank you. Because if you move and she catches you moving with the submit to yourself, she's gonna <laughs> it's going to lead to a conversation you don't want to have. Submit yourselves to your husband. So we dug a little deeper into this verse. This was originally written in the Greek language, and when it comes to dealing with something like this, I think it's important that we go back in history and we look and say, what exactly did they mean by this? So what I have here on your next slide is the literal Greek translation. So let's, can we put that next slide up? Wives, and it should be in your handouts. No, that's not it. Wives, comma, to your own husbands as to the Lord. I'm going to say it out loud for you. Take the screen down. That's not it. Wives, to your own husbands as to the Lord. Notice that I did not say the word submit because it's not there. There's no verb in the sentence. Wives to your own husband as to the Lord. Now the reason that there is no word submit there is because it's a common Greek practice in the Greek language is that they would take the verb from the verse before or the passage before, and they would try to make it run a little bit more streamlined. So you actually have to go back further to say, why would they skip that, and why would they just throw submit in here if it's not there? Because it's kind of inferred. But because the word submit there, to Paul's audience, when you get to a wild line like wives submit to your husbands, to us, we go, huh? But back then, to that culture, they go, duh. And the way that people looked at things, the way that women were treated back then, it, that women were put at such a low uh, place. And you've seen this, that this happens in some other parts of the world. We're Americans, so we believe a little bit more in equality, though I, sometimes I think that's a joke, too. We, we just hide it better. And they were actually treated where women were not even allowed to testify in court because they were considered that their story, that their testimony was not to be trusted or believed. They were treated as a piece of property. In fact, your husband, the literal word was patria, and in that was, I become your husband, and now I am also your master. Back then, a husband could leave his wife just by saying it three times and walking away, I divorce you, I divorce you, I divorce you, and peace out, and they can walk away. But when Paul says it, if you go back from verse 22 and you go to verse 21, he says this in Ephesians 5.21, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. That's the way the word submit is used. And every time Paul uses the word submit, it's always tacked onto out of a love for Jesus. It's not submission like who's in charge. It's the way that I love you is an act of worshiping Jesus. 
Let that rest on you for a moment. That some of you, your best worship song will be the way that you treat your spouse. It's out of a love for Jesus. And here's the wild part. It's mutual the way it's implied because he's talking to a group at first. And it's out of reverence for Christ. This is why a Christian marriage is a submission competition. It's mutual submission. I'm here for you. I'm going to leverage my power, my influence, my resources, all of it for your benefit. We may have different roles or responsibilities, but the key part is even though we might be different in this household because we're two different people, we do not have different value. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. You place the hopes, dreams, and desires of someone else ahead of your own. And Paul kind of begins this application, and he's really messing with culture. In Ephesians 5.22, wives submit to your husbands as wives submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. And women, I'm just, I I, I found a poll online that's really interesting. When we measured how many women thought that the men that they were married to were worthy of being submitted to, we came up with a percent. I wanted to show you the percentage up here. Hopefully we have that. Yeah, it's 100% don't think that that's going to work. (laughs) 100% of that, there is no way that any man that you know well enough where you have smelled the things that that dude can create in your household, hello, can we just be honest for a minute, is worthy of total submission? I don't think so. So what the Bible is starting to teach us is this idea of mutual submission, and it only works when both parties in the marriage fully participate. So what comes next later on in the passage was just as shocking, disruptive. In fact, I would say that it was society toppling because it messed with the entire layout of their culture. In verse 25, husbands, love your wives just as, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Hang on. If you're sitting there, like you are sitting in here right now, and somebody reads a letter out loud, and first of all, you just found out that, uh, what, do you, what do you mean we're supposed to submit to one another? Mm-mm. That doesn't make any sense. I'm the head of the household. And then he says, Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Hang on, man, I know that story. That story doesn't end well for Jesus because he ends up on a cross. And then he goes on further in 526, to make her holy, cleansing her by washing her with water through the word, Ephesians 5.27, and to present to her to himself as a radiant church without the stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. To say in that passage, to love your wife, as you love your own body, is to literally say she is equal now and she will be treated equally to everything that I am. And what more intimacy is there than saying you are equal to me in my entire inside, in my entire being, and I will treat you as an equal. Can you imagine being in the ancient Middle East 
and standing up and saying women are to be treated equally. So, we have a wonderful movement, and I truly believe in it with all my heart. For a period of time, I was raised by a single mom. I really just, I believe, I believe in empowering women. And women, if you do too, I just would like to introduce you to the man who introduced that to the world, and his name is Jesus. Jesus was the first to tell everyone about what true love really comes from, and it comes from sacrifice, and we're to love Jesus best by treating our spouse as an equal to us. But it only works in a submission competition. And a lot of our marriages look more like a tug-of-war. Whose box is going to get the attention? Who's going to win? And who's going to pull on the rope the hardest? Who's going to manipulate? Who's going to pull the strongest? Who's going to be the best arguer? Who's just going to shut down when things don't go their way? How's it going to work out the best? I would say this to you husbands. What is life to you? What is life to you? And I will tell you to put her before whatever that is. What do you think life is really all about? You put her before that. And maybe you think, and you have wonderful ideals and wonderful dreams to help people, to help the oppressed, to help the hurting, to be generous, that everything takes a back seat to how you love your wife and to do that well. And the thing is, is that that kind of marriage will never work if your expectations box is full. So how do you empty it? Are you just not allowed to dream anymore? No, I didn't say that. But I think you, I think you start not by asking what needs to leave your box, and you start asking this question, what's in yours? What's in your box? What's in her box? What are her dreams and desires? And I will give you a tip on how you do that. This is what you start. What are your hopes, dreams, and desires is probably not part of the natural conversation that happens to any person that you have to do life with daily. But this is an I'm all in uh, an I'm, I'm all in question. This is the kind of question that you ask and it shows your spouse, I am serious about being a good husband and loving you well. I'm serious about putting you first. And you start being really, really honest. And here's the thing. After you ask what is in your hopes, dreams, and desires box, here's what you do. You stop talking and you listen. There is no commentary. There's just, listen, I don't know if I can give that to you. I, oh, I, you know, oh, that's what you want, honey. I'm sorry. I don't know if that'll ever be there. No, you, you shut your mouth. You listen. I just really believed that we were going to be in a different place in our life by now. Well, honey, you need to look at your perspective. No. You shoot your mouth. Listen. Well, what she just said was crazy. You picked her. Shut your mouth and listen. Well, he just needs to understand. I, you know, one of the, I told my wife, because she just point blank asked me, and I said, you're supposed to wait for week two, but here it is. And I 
who have told my wife everything, was embarrassed that I still had dreams. And there were these little moments where we were sharing kind of some of our dreams back and forth where I had to stop thinking about, well, can I fulfill that in her? And I needed to shut my mouth and say it with me, listen. Good job, though I made you talk. I think that might have reversed how you're supposed to think about that. But here's why you listen. Because you start removing yourself out of the problem-solving equation. And you stop thinking about yourself, and you start thinking about them. Fully invested, fully present. If somebody gives you the last piece of intimacy that they have, which is where they hope to be in their lives in this finite amount of time that we have on life, and you make it your goal to try to answer, respond, correct, all you're doing is you're tamping them down, and you're pushing them down. And they need you to be there. And I will say it this way. People who are less self-people are happier people. And less self-relationships are richer relationships. Less self-people are happier people. Less self-relationships are richer relationships. Because submission only works when it's mutual when it's mutual. Well, Tom, objection. (laughs) If I do that, and I just let them have their hopes and dreams, and I, I know what they want, and it's expensive, I, you have no idea. If I, if I take the pressure off, and I, I start living like it's not about me, and it's about them, what if I don't get it back? What if, what if they don't return? If I allow that, he'll never come home. He'll stay at work constantly. She'll never stop going out with her friends. She'll never stop this. She won't. I'll never hear the end of it. Our kids will blah, 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 blah. If I take the pressure off, if I allow this, if I allow her to continue, if I allow him to continue, if I allow her to go back to that, ultimately what that means is that if I'm afraid that every decision that I would make to limit our marriage or to keep the pressure on or else is you being afraid. And I will just tell you that God has not given you a spirit of fear. My friends, I, I would honestly say, if your marriage is you holding on to the rope because you think that if you let go, it all falls apart, may I suggest to you that it's actually the exact opposite. But it only works if you're going back and forth. Oh, we're just trying to compromise. Compromise doesn't work with marriage, not when you're trying to be out of reverence for Christ. You think Christ was hanging on the cross saying, you know, guys, I've rethought this. Let's make a deal. Total, all-in grace. I'm going to resurrect a little bit. There's none of that. It's total grace where he hands us something that we did not deserve. And I know your husband does not deserve to be let off the rope. But love him the way that Christ loved you. Out of reverence for Christ. Out of the best worship song you will ever sing. And your kids and anyone else that you can influence in your life will watch this happen. 
And it only works, though, if both of you do it. It only works. You've played tug-of-war, right? I'm, I hope I'm not introducing a foreign concept to you. But if one person continues to pull and you let go, it's a mess. And somebody falls over. Granted, it's hilarious, and I watch it every Sunday on America's Funniest Videos. I'm just there to watch people take, take hits and no-nos. But let me just tell you, this only works if both of you walk forward. You take honest consideration about their dreams, about their desires in their life. You listen. Please let that hit home. And you give them freedom. And you don't put your fear of what's going to happen. Here's what you'll experience. You will experience a deeper understanding of Christ. You'll become closer to Jesus and closer to your spouse at the same time. Because you'll realize that the happiest couples are the ones that know that their spouse owes them nothing. Yet they owe them everything. So, your homework and your job First is to decide, are you all in? Are you all in on this relationship? And if you are, you ask them. And not like, let's exchange information time, like it's a car wreck. Where you stop and you just ask, what are your hopes and your dreams or desires? Don't put a time stamp on it. Just ask that question and then listen. And don't do it on the car ride home. And if you think you're going to forget, put it in your phone. Take some time and think about it. But ask them. But ask them. And if your spouse has the guts to ask you that question, do not blow them off. Show them that you're all in by making eye contact, by listening. If you write something down, you will blow her mind. I really want to take notes. I really want to remember, what are your hopes, dreams, or desires? We have this idea of happily ever after that is just hogwash. That's about as fierce of a word as I feel comfortable saying in church. But it's, it's not fair. We have this idea that finding the right person is enough, and I just don't believe that that's true. I believe that marriage is about becoming the right person. And what better way to show your spouse that you love them is to say, I'm going to drop my rope. I'm going to drop my end of the rope. Because there is no hope for your marriage unless you drop the rope. You've got to let go. There's no hope until you let go of the rope. So what's in there? What's in your box? Most of all, what's in theirs? And can you live a relationship where it's not like, well, he's the husband, so I have to submit to him. Well, I just showed you biblically He's the Christ, and you're supposed to submit to him in the way that Christ told you how to love your spouse and how to worship Jesus. They're connected. It's amazing that we can treat another human being and try to say, who's in charge of the house? Oh, my goodness. What if we started asking questions? How do we better love the other person out of reverence for Christ? Submit to one another out of a reverence for Christ, not out of a reverence for them, for certainly no one is worthy of such reverence other than Jesus. Love each other well. And the way that God tells us the best way that we know how to love the Father is by loving his kids. So treat each other like it. Love them well. Let me pray for you.
And uh, then we got a few more things to tell you about this morning. God, would you help? Would you help us to be all in in our relationships? Would you help us to let go of the tug of war? Would you help us to find ways where we're not trying to figure out new rules and expectations of each other? May we find ways to be madly in love. Where there are marriages where maybe it's gotten stale, would you reignite the passion, the intimacy that comes with fully submitting ourselves out of reverence for you? May we invite you back into our lives and into our marriage. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. God bless you. Thank you so much. Amen. Thank you, Tom. Thank you. Y'all, were y'all blessed by the message this morning? And uh, awesome. Absolutely no room for ego in our marriages. And um, in, in any relationship, perhaps you're not married, uh, you have relationship. Um, you have other relationships as well. If you're married, you've got friends. Uh, ego always gets in the way of a relationship going south. Now, let me say this. You may be here this morning, and you're going through, maybe your marriage is not where it needs to be, and you need some help in this area. Um, I, I want to challenge you. I want to push that you um, seek help. And we've got some resources in our toolbox, so to speak. We've got some resources here at a, at a church that we would uh, love to invest in your marriage. And, um, and so if you're here, you're a husband, wife, and you're, you're just going through a rough path. And that's, hey, we all go through it. Let's just be honest. We all go through it. And, and sometimes when we think we've got, got to go to counseling, we, we go because that our marriage is in trouble. But that's not always the case. Sometimes counseling got this negative idea. Oh, you know, I only go when it's bad. But I want to push on the idea that counseling is more coaching. Uh, don't, we, don't you all want to be better in our marriage? You know, when you, when you work out, you, you have people, if, if you work out, you have people that coach you, counsel you, so that you could be stronger in your workout, right? Why not be stronger in your marriage? And so if you're here, make sure you see me, see Tom after the service. Uh, we also have a next up area, Danny's back there. And, then, and if you want to talk to one of us, uh, we, we want to help you in the right direction and help your marriage be stronger. And um, because this is the most important relationship outside of your relationship with Christ is the most important relationship you have. And we want to invest in your marriage.